So the Buddha, the Buddha put in his discourses, when you, when you read his um, collections of his discourses, he, he speaks so frequently about the importance and the value and the benefits of metta practice. And it, it, it always kind of stops me on retreats. We tend to give um, one guided metta meditation and um, occasionally we'll say, oh, kind of, you know, don't forget about the metta, you know, do, do some metta as well. And, um, and we'll talk about, um, you know, having a friendly approach to, to what comes. And, and that's about the extent of it. And so as, as, important, as much importance as the Buddha puts on, on the practice and really cultivating metta, uh, it often seems to me that we we really don't give it as much attention on retreats as as it probably deserves and needs. And so this evening I'd like to speak about metta. And I'd like to um, like to explore first of all what what metta means. What is it? And then I'd like to speak a little bit about um, kind of. Um, kind of the path or the direction in which the metta practice can lead and also to hopefully to to give you a sense of the potential with metta practice. And um, begin by by saying that in, in Pali there are two words that are commonly translated as mind. And the first word is manos. And manos refers to the thinking, logical, reasoning, figuring out, analyzing mind. And the second word, citta, it's also commonly translated as mind, and it's also translated as heart. And citta is translated as heart because it refers to, it's a little bit complex, it refers to the, the aspect of mind that is, is more connected with the emotional life and the inner life aside from the thinking, logic, analyzing. And to a, to a certain extent, there's limitations in the analogy, but to a certain extent, I think they correspond to left and right brain for the scientifically inclined of you. And so, so chitta is, is translated as mind and as heart for this reason. And, and it, it has both translations, so it's an aspect of mind, but it has this heart translation because in, in the culture at the time, and in Asian culture in general, and in in many cultures, in many different places, many different times throughout the world, the, the emotional life, the, uh, and, and particularly the, the kind of the, um, the empathetic, compassionate, kind, friendly, connecting aspect, are considered to reside in the heart. And so we have phrases like 
um, like heartfulness, heartwarming, broken heart, wearing your heart on your sleeve. All these phrases that we actually have in the language that that point to this this sense of of the of the emotional life, the feeling life, residing in the heart. There's a, there's a, there's a wonderful image in in Indian mythology. Um, any of you are familiar with with Hanuman? Hanuman is the monkey king, and Hanuman was. Um, the, the great devotee of Ram and Sita. You know, Ram was like in Hari Ram, Hari Krishna. So Hanuman was a great devotee of Ram and, and Sita. And the, uh, the pictures, the, the images of Hanuman um, show him expressing his devotion and his love for Ram and Sita by tearing open his chest and exposing his heart. And it, it looks pretty gruesome, but it's actually intended as, as a, as you know, it's like it's the highest demonstration of demonstrating love, demonstrating metta, exposing the heart. And it's like exposing yourself, exposing your emotional life, exposing your inner life. And so, so we could, we could say, so, so metta, Metta, we could, we could say in a way, metta is an expression or a manifestation of citta. It's a manifestation of this, this aspect of mind, which is heart, which is heartfulness. And so, so citta, citta is from the heart. It's of the heart. So as I just said, we could say that it's a manifestation of um, of citta. Um, Ajahn Pasano, who's the the abbot of a Buddhist monastery in California, says, "Metta is often translated in English as loving kindness. Although two words are used, they still don't quite get it right. So other words are used, such as amity or friendliness." in an effort to convey its meaning. Metta is characterized as being connected to happiness or well-being. Its function is to generate welfare or well-being. It is manifested as the removal of annoyance. Its proximate cause is seeing the lovableness of beings or the good qualities and that which is pleasing in others. Metta succeeds when it causes ill will to subside. Using the word metta is more useful as it does not have the connotations of affection and attachment that the word loving-kindness has. Metta is a selfless wishing of happiness and well-being for self and others. Okay, that's, there's an important statement in there. It does not have the connotations of affection and attachment that the word loving-kindness has. So it's not, it's not a, a, a mushy, romantic, um, affectionate kind of thing. It's, 
It's just that selfless wishing of happiness and well-being for self and others. And the the metta practice, the metta practice, in, in a way, is so. This so 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 metta is a manifestation of chitta, and chitta is an aspect of mind. So it's it's something that is within all of us. We all have this chitta, and and so so metta it resides in the hearts of all of us. And what what happens very commonly is that because of so many conditions, because of our, our upbringing, our education, our economic system, um, our, our, our science orientation, the, the manos gets very, very developed and the chitta is kind of left lying there. And one of the one of the effects and benefits and intentions of the metta practice is to kind of build up the chitta and get some more balance. Get more balance between the these two aspects of mind heart. Okay, so it's it's like it's like the, the chitta is there but it's been kind of overwhelmed by the manos. And so it needs some strengthening, it needs some nourishing. And the metta practice is to nourish, to nourish that that aspect of chitta, that aspect of mind heart. So we we nourish it by listening to the heart, by opening to the heart, and by expressing the wishes, by expressing these wishes for happiness and well-being for self and others. Okay, so so I, I hope from that you get kind of a sense and, and it's and it's um yeah and again it's as I as I think I mentioned it's not it's not meta it's actually we we use some doing in the saying of the phrases. We use some doing to to nourish this. Just like you know, if we're if we're sick, we do some doing to give medicine and to and to take rest and take care of ourselves. But so we we do the metta practice in order to nourish and to to support and to grow the metta. But actually, the metta it's not something that we do or give or send. We, we build it up and then it just naturally spreads. And, um, and I'll come back to this if I remember. <laughs> um, so so I, I hope that gives you a little bit more of a sense of, of what metta is and, and why, why we practice metta. So then I'd like to, um, like to speak a little bit about the the path, the direction, the kind of the trajectory of the metta practice, and um, and I, I just recently um, recently kind of um, hit on a uh, a way of kind of viewing it that that 
never struck me before. And, and it's borrowing from a model of practice from the Tibetan tradition. And the Tibetan tradition has this, this model of practice and it's, um, it's most commonly considered to be uh, dividing the practice into levels of practice or stages of practice. And though any of you who are familiar with the Tibetan tradition will recognize it as soon as I say the word. Um, so, so it's generally considered as, as levels or stages of practice, and it's a progression, and this one is better than that one, and this one's better, and so on. But what the Tibetans actually refer to, and, they, and they've taken these three levels and given them Sanskrit names. And the, the term that they use to describe them is translated as vehicles. They have three vehicles. And I, and I, love, I love this word. When I, when I, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was reading about these three vehicles, and it really struck me, wait, there's a, there's a connection here with the metta. And, um, and so these, the, three, the three vehicles, and, and I was thinking that's a, it's, it's a, really, a really appropriate phrasing of it. And, and, it, and it, it came to me that it, it's kind of like, um, it's like if we want to kind of buzz about in town and do our grocery shopping and do our errands, a smart car is the appropriate vehicle. If we're driving around on the country roads, you know, through the little lanes in Devon and going through the fields, then maybe we want a Land Rover. And that's more appropriate, more skillful. If we're going out on the M's, we want a Porsche. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the appropriate vehicle. And so under different conditions, in different situations, different vehicles are the most skillful. And so the, so the Tibetans took the practice and divided it into, or categorized it. And, and I see it as just a model for practice. It's not a, I don't see it as a, an ultimate thing. It's a model that we can use. And they, and, they, and they divided the practice into three different vehicles. And each vehicle has a different appropriateness, different... Um, different benefits, different intentions. And the first, the first vehicle has um, what I consider to be a very unfortunate name, actually. It's, um, it's called um, Hinayana. And yana, yana means vehicle. And Hinayana translates literally as lesser vehicle. And I, 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 I consider it... Um, an unfortunate phrasing because it's, it's come to take on the connotation as being of less value because it's named lesser. And so I, I prefer to think of it as foundation vehicle. It's the foundation vehicle. And the Hinayana, in the Tibetan tradition, the Hinayana practice is, is, is pra- includes practices that are kind of aimed at developing and and understanding and realizing the self. It's it's about it's about me. And it has it it actually has many correspondence to the to some of the insight practice, the the, the emphasis on, on the body and um, 
and it and it it has and and the, the Hinayana practices it, it includes um, cultivating qualities of self. So cultivating qualities like mindfulness, like concentration, like kindness, like generosity, like um, concentration, all the qualities. A lot of the qualities that we develop in the course of the practice, and so they've termed it lesser, but I term it. I like to term it as foundation because the development of these qualities forms the foundation. It's the foundation for developing conditions that support and and enhance the arising of insight. So it's really, so although they call it lesser, it's a really important, it's an absolutely essential aspect of the practice. And in fact, um, most of the, the top Tibetan teachers who I've had exposure to say that even when you're practicing at the, the highest level, you have to keep practicing at this level. We have to keep strengthening, keep strengthening and developing and cultivating these qualities, and particularly qualities of heart. And so we begin the, we begin the metta practice um, using this model, I would say, we begin the metta practice with the Hinayana practice. We begin with me, with self. The practice begins, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be whatever phrases you want to use. So we begin, we begin, and, and by beginning with self, we're working at this foundation level. So the, the, the beginning with self is the beginning of, of nourishing this, this citta, which lies within our hearts, which is within us already, but it needs the nourishing. Um, one, of, one of my teachers, Ajahn Mahagosananda, who's um, a Cambodian, he was a Cambodian monk, he died a few years ago, and he, um, he had the great fortune of, of being in India when Pol Pot took over in Cambodia. And in India, he had been studying, and he had done years of metta practice. Years of metta practice. And after the, um, after the Khmer Rouge were ousted by the Vietnamese, he went back to Cambodia to see what he could do to, to help the people and to kind of, you know, to really support the people and, and to, revive, to revive Buddhism. And he went to the refugee camps, and I, I happened to meet him in Bangkok, and he said to me, come. <laughs> so I, I went with him and, um, and became his attendant in the refugee camps. And in the refugee camps, the first thing he did was very interesting. The first thing he did was he had them build a stage, and he started reviving the traditional dance and song and <coughs> the culture. And he wanted to make sure that the culture wasn't lost. And then the next thing he did in each of the camps, he built a small temple and started giving the Dharma teachings. And um, 
and then he um, and he also he um, he 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 worked very much behind the scenes as a mediator between all the different factions that were jockeying for power in Cambodia, and, and out of that he was nominated three times for the Nobel Peace Prize. And so Ajahn Mahagosananda he wrote. There is nothing more glorious than peace. When we stabilize our posture and calm our mind, we can realize peace within ourselves. Then we can radiate loving kindness to those around us, our family, our community, our nation, and the world. We can meditate like this. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be free from anger. May I be free from suffering. So the repetition of the phrases. And then he says, why must we love ourselves first? Because peace begins with the individual. It is only by loving ourselves first that we are able to extend love to others. Charity begins at home. So here's, here's an expression of the, the need to begin, to begin by cultivating this within ourselves. And once we cultivate it within ourselves and we, and we have that, that, that kindness and that friendliness within ourselves, then, he, he says, then, uh, then we can radiate loving kindness. It's not that then we start to give it to others. We radiate it. The more strongly developed the loving kindness is within us, the metta is within us, the more it just radiates. And as I mentioned the other day, we can feel that in some people. So we, we, cultivate, we cultivate this within ourselves. We develop the, the metta and, and develop it to the point where, where we really start to feel the, the heart opening. And and the and the warmth and the the happiness of the metta, and and what 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 so often people say is people go home after retreat, and and they and they report that people at home say something is different about me. I don't feel any different. I'm just back to my same old stuff. But people tell me that I'm different in some way. There's a different energy being, being radiated without doing anything. And often that, often that energy is an energy of, of calmness, of peacefulness, of metta. And so we, we become aware that by developing it within ourselves, it's affecting others begins to affect others. And when we see it, when we, when we recognize how the metta within ourselves affects others, then there's the wish to build more because we want to, we want to share it with others. It makes us happy to see the happiness and feel the happiness of others. It makes us peaceful to feel the peacefulness of others. 
And so there's this wish to share. And then this, this, is, this is moving into the second vehicle. The second vehicle is called the Mahayana, which translates as the greater vehicle. <laughs> and and the, the Mahayana, the Mahayana practices are more concerned about others. It's less concerned for yourself, and it's more about it's more about liberating others, freeing others. It's more about working working in ways that are for the benefit of others. It's more about service. And so the the second stage of the metta practice is may you. The consequence of of feeling, of experiencing this this effect on others and and wanting others (coughs) to be happy just as we are, then we move into the second stage, this may you be happy, may you be at peace, may you be safe. And, and the emphasis comes much more on the other. And, and also, as I, as I said the other day, in, in, in this practice, we're, we're using the phrases, but again, really important, really important. It's not about giving something, and it's certainly not about trying to make someone else happy. We can't make someone else happy. We can't make someone else peaceful. Hard enough to make ourselves happy and peaceful, isn't it? <laughs> but again, as we as we cultivate that within ourselves, it radiates. And so we so we cultivate it within ourselves for the benefit of other beings. Couple of um, couple of stories to um, to demonstrate that 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 I think express this and um, very powerful, at least for me. These 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 two stories um, that really really demonstrate the power of metta to transform someone else without trying to do it, just by radiating. And first one is um, is actually with my teacher Mahagosananda. Um, we came into the one of the refugee camps one morning. We walked in through the gate, and um, we just got in the gate. And a group of people came running over and kind of grabbed grabbed him and said, "You got to come! You got to come! Come with us! Come with us! Hurry! Hurry! Hurry!" And and we rushed off, and we went into a, a little building just inside the gate, and it was the, the camp police station. And inside this little police station, which was just a, a, a wooden hut, um, there was a table, and at each end of the table there was a chair, and one chair was a policeman, and in the other chair was a monk, and the two of them were having this fierce argument, just yelling at each other, and it was all in... High, and I don't have a clue what it was about, but they were there. It was so intense. I thought they were going to get up and start punching each other and have a real fight. And um, and and Mahagosananda came in, and he he grabbed a chair, and he put the chair at the side of the table, and he sat down. 
And so he's sitting here, and there's the policeman here and the monk here, and he kind of leans forward, and he just looks at whoever is yelling. <laughs> and he just sits there, like this, and like this, and he's doing metta practice. And every now and then he'll ask one of them a question, and then just listen and do metta. And within a very short time, their voices started to come down. The voices got lower and softer and slower. And after not very long, the argument stopped. Everyone got up, they shook hands, and we all left. Just the power of metta without really doing anything. Now remember, he had been practicing metta for many years and had really developed very strong, very strong metta that really radiated. And, and I could see it whenever we were walking through the camp. Just everyone would just stop and you'd see the smiles come on their faces. Just radiated metta and it, and it affected everyone else. Second story, my first teacher was S.N. Goenka, and I think some of you have done retreats either with Goenkaji or in his tradition. And um, <coughs> this retreat, I was on a retreat with him, it was my second retreat ever. And it was in Mumbai, called Bombay then. And the retreat was being held in, um, it was in a home in the middle of the red light district of Bombay and it was during the war between India and Pakistan in 1971 so the house was completely sealed all the doors and windows were sealed so no light could get out because the city was under black, total blackout they didn't want any light because the Pakistani bombers were actually coming over the city sometimes we'd go up on the roof and we'd watch the tracer bullets the tracer missiles going through the air trying to find the uh, airplanes and um, and so the house was completely sealed we're in a room about 60 of us in a room a little bit bigger than this and it's hot and stuffy and humid and we're sitting in the dark and it's late at night and it is so miserable. <laughs> there is so much dukkha in that room. <laughs> and uh, Goengaji is sitting up at the front, and we're all sitting, and all of a sudden, at the back of the room, a woman jumps up and starts screaming, Why are you making us do this? <laughs> Why do we have to do this? Why should we do this? What are you doing? Why are you torturing us? And she started walking towards him. And she started squaring at him and yelling and, and walking. And, and by this time, everyone had opened their eyes. <laughs> and we're all kind of looking at her, looking at him. And, and Goenkaji opened his eyes and he just looked at her and he started chanting the Buddha's discourse on metta. And he just sat there chanting metta and the woman as she literally with each step 
she went a little bit slower. And with each step, her voice got a little bit lower. And she got, she was still, there was still anger in her. You could see there was still anger. But by the time he was, he was sitting on a, a low platform here, by the time she got up to the platform, she stopped right in front of him. She got down on her knees, put her head in his lap, and just broke up crying. The heart opened. The ill will and the anger was dissipated. Just from his looking at her and chanting. Not reacting, not trying to make her do anything, not telling her to do anything. Just the tremendous power of metta. And this is this is the direction, this is the potential for the practice. It's the potential for the practice in relation to others and the potential for practice in our relationship with ourselves. That power to, um, as Ajahn Pasano said, that power to dissipate ill will. Uh, causes ill will to subside. Causes anger to subside. So as as we practice, as we practice, so practicing the the metta, cultivating the metta, and also doing the insight practice, doing the insight as we as we do the insight practice, and 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 more and more of you are commenting on it, and the 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 example that I'll use is is in the qigong walking, just the the sense of more and more of you having a sense of the the unity and the the being together, the 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 non-separateness of of all of us here in that walking. Through the practice getting more and more a sense of the anatta, the the not selfness characteristic. <coughs> and <coughs> And the third, the third vehicle in the Tibetan tradition is called the Vajrayana. And yana is vehicle, and Vajra has two meanings. It means, um, it means diamond. And, and in the context of, of Vajrayana, the diamond vehicle, it has the, the sense of the clarity and brilliance of a diamond, and also the 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 hardness of a diamond that can cut through anything. And so the diamond is seen to cut through greed, hatred, and delusion. And it also has the translation of thunderbolt. So the Vajra, the Vajra is, is the thunderbolt that just blasts through. <laughs> it just shakes everything. And and blasts right through again, blasts through greed, hatred, and delusion. And and in that, with with the Vajrayana, with this cutting through and this blasting through, and the and the, the shaking up and the brilliance, the, the the clarity. It's in in that in that cutting through of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's it's cutting through and blasting away. 
the belief in the perception of separateness. And so the Vajrayana is, the Vajrayana practices are practices that contribute to the realization of the dissolving of separateness. It's kind of like walking Qigong. <laughs> and and the, the metta practice, <coughs> excuse me, the metta practice, we go into the, the Vajrayana, we go into the third stage, may all beings, may all beings. And in, in extending and radiating to all beings, it's extending to all beings without discrimination, without distinction. And it's extending, extending to all beings without discrimination or without distinction because ultimately there is no discrimination, there is no distinction. We're all interconnected, all interdependent on each other. So the Vajrayana is the, the, the realization of anatta and, and the third part of the metta practice is also pointing us and so we we come to the third stage we cultivate this 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 wish this heartful wish this heart opening wish for the for the the safety the freedom the liberation the happiness of of all beings knowing that the Ultimately, the happiness of one depends on the happiness of all. There's no, no separation. And yet, we practice this in a way by just coming back to the inayana and continuing to cultivate the metta within ourselves. And it goes around in a cycle. And the more we cultivate it within ourselves, the more it radiates to all beings and the more we can come to an understanding of anatta and the liberation from that perception of separateness. Hmm. 45 minutes goes by very quickly once you get going. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I wanted to read a little bit more here. Um, Ajahn Mahagosananda goes on and he says um, so he says charity begins at home so this is very much the the Hinayana level the first level, the first vehicle and then he goes on he says by protecting ourselves we protect the whole world by loving ourselves we love the whole world when we say may I be happy we are speaking for everyone The whole world is one. Life is one. We are all of the same Buddha nature. We all have this potential for awakening. Loving kindness is a very powerful energy. It radiates to all beings without distinction. It radiates to our loved ones, to those toward whom we feel indifferent, and to our enemies. There are no boundaries to loving kindness. 
the Dharma is founded in loving kindness. And so we've we've been we've been saying we've we've said a number of times how in order to be present with what's happening, in order to be present with our experience, there has to be a welcoming, a kindness, a friendliness. And this is exactly what he says here. The Dharma is founded in metta. One more, one more story I wanted to tell um, concerned with the, the Vajrayana, the third level. Um, a few weeks ago I saw a video, maybe some of you have seen it on, on the internet, a video is about 20 minutes of images of the Earth taken by astronauts from the space station. And interspersed with it, just, oh, just spectacular images of the Earth. And interspersed with the images were interviews with a bunch of the astronauts. And the astronauts were saying a, a number of quite, quite amazing things. Um, one, of them, one of them said that, that most of the astronauts, whenever they have free time, they'll sit for hours at the window of the spaceship just gazing at the Earth, just transfixed by the Earth just in, um, in awe and wonder of this, this sphere floating <coughs> in space. And, and they, they all, every one of them, every one of them spoke about seeing the earth. They used different language, different, different phrases, different terminology. But what, were they, what they were all expressing was seeing the earth as as an organism, seeing the earth as a being, and seeing how anything that happened on one side of the earth affected the other side of the earth. Seeing how it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. There's nothing anywhere on this earth that isn't that is separate from anything anywhere else on this earth, and from outer space, they all had this perception and came to this understanding, this understanding of anatta. And they they commented on and and, and there was a, there was an image, an image that had the earth and the and the and the space. I, I, I was amazed to to realize how fast that space station is traveling. <laughs> But the, so the space station is traveling around, and there's this image that was actually taken by an astronaut outside of the station. So he's floating in space, and he's taking a, a video of the Earth floating in space, and there's the Earth, and there's this tiny, tiny, thin layer with a little bit of color around the Earth. And they're saying, this layer, this is the atmosphere. This layer is the atmosphere. And, and saying how we are destroying this atmosphere. And when the atmosphere is destroyed, the earth is destroyed. And when the earth is destroyed, we are destroyed. We're destroying ourselves. 
and just again seeing the seeing all the relationships and the interconnectedness, how our actions, how the actions of each one of us is affecting the whole of the earth and everyone else on the earth. We're not separate. Despite what our appearance says, there is no us and them. There's no me and you. And 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 the and the other thing that the astronauts commented on, they're being interviewed of course after they've come back to Earth, and so many of them, when they come back, they get involved in environmental activity, in environmental movement. They get involved in in culture, in cross-cultural activities. They get involved in in a, a whole range of different types of spiritual activities. They're compelled, compelled to participate in things that connect people. The awakening to anatta, and this is what the awakening to anatta does. And this awakening, it, 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 you know, again, it's a cycle. It, it can come very much through the expression and the, and the, the, the practice of metta, and it also brings out the metta. It brings out the metta, the realization of our interconnectedness. And so the the again the the Vajrayana, this realization, these these astronauts, they have this this awakening, this realization of the interconnectedness, and they come back to Earth and they start doing work on themselves for the benefit of others. Knowing that the benefit of one is dependent on the benefit of all. So I hope, I hope this gives you a sense of the, the importance of metta and a, and a, and a sense of, of what metta is and, and perhaps how to apply it and how to practice it. And, and, I, and I really hope that through this practice each one of us can, can begin to radiate more and more of that. This world needs it so badly. And it's up to each one of us to be a part of it. So let's sit quietly for a couple of minutes.
May all beings nourish the heart's opening, the heart's awakening. May all beings know the power of metta. May all beings know true freedom of mind and heart. <laughs> 